read the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him, because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. We continue on our five-week-long journey through John chapter 6, which began two weeks ago with Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 hungry stomachs with a few loaves of barley bread. But then last week took a a different turn, a spiritual turn, a deeper turn, if you will, as Jesus talked about a different kind of bread to feed different, deeper, spiritual kind of hungers. I am bread, he said. Bread from heaven, he said. And eating the bread I am, he said. You will be nourished not only for new life here and now, but also for eternal life hereafter. We're going to continue with John 6 today, but by way of getting there this morning, we're going to stroll through our other readings for the day in a way that... Well, by my way of thinking, all kind of ties together in the end, but I guess you'll be the judge of that. In our first reading for today, we find the prophet Elijah, both physically and spiritually hungry, and also both physically and spiritually weary. Not eating, it turns out, either physically or spiritually, is wearying, both physically and spiritually. The context tells us that Elijah has just had a showdown with the false prophets of the false god, Baal, and he had won the showdown in dramatic and decisive faction. But those false prophets had also been the favored prophets of King Ahab, who was a wicked piece of work, and his wife, Queen Jezebel, who was even more so. And so they immediately put a price on Elijah's head. And so Elijah fled. A day's flight away from Ahab and Jezebel, he stopped. And he was hungry. And he was weary. And his deepest weariness was his spiritual and emotional weariness of life itself. And so he sat under a tree. And before falling asleep, he prayed this bedtime prayer. It is enough, Lord. Take away my life. (laughs) 
God answers all prayers. But even the likes of our faith's superheroes, like the prophet Elijah, discovered that the answer is not always yes. God giving us specifically what we asked for. As in Elijah's case, when he awakened and found himself not delighting in the, in the hereafter, but rather in the aroma of a baking hot cake, the refreshment of a jar of water, and the refreshing presence of an angel. And he ate, and he drank, and he slept again, and he woke again, and the angel fed him again, and nourished by bread and by water and by the divine. Elijah got up and continued on his journey. Something to note. Sometimes, maybe even most times, God does not take away what we are facing, but rather gives us what we need to get through and even to grow midst what we are facing. King David, speaking of our faith's superheroes, experienced that same thing more than once. And on one of those occasions, he wrote our psalm for today when, after reflecting in hindsight on how he believed that God had gotten him through a threatening difficulty that he had faced, he wrote, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear the Lord and delivers them. And then David likened that experience to being fed, writing not just for himself in hindsight, but for us in foresight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Interesting. Taste and see, David writes. Something to note, there are, of course, foods and vitamins that are good for our physical eyes. But there are also nourishment that, is nourishment that comes from the presence of God and the word of God and the sacraments of God and the worship of God. And that nourishment is good for our spiritual eyes. It helps us see, taste, and see, David says. The bread God gives, the bread, bread Jesus is, according to Jesus, nourishes us, as I said earlier, not only unto eternal life in the hereafter, but also into new life here and now, which, although he doesn't use the phrase new life here and now, is certainly what Paul is describing in our reading today from Ephesians when he refers to life, to living here and now, in a way that is precisely and profoundly new, especially when compared to the daily bread we so often dine on, in our news feeds and social media platforms where almost all of the food comes from this world's major food groups, those food groups being things to hate, people to hate, things to fear, things to be anxious about, things to be angry about, things somebody who is angry or was angry is threatening to do or did do to get back or get even with somebody about, things people are lying about, and finally, the food group that nourishes most of our boldest headlines, things people are killing or being killed about. Would you like to go through that buffet line again? Not so much, right? Because it gets old. In fact, it is old. It's as old as the beginning of the Bible, where the first man and the first woman decide they'd rather be God than obey God. They would rather, in other words, live in a land of the free, where freedom means they decide for themselves what is good, 
for themselves and for others rather than listening to what God says is good and obeying what God says is good with the result that God's very good creation that God spoke and breathed life into is now visited by death. A point soon affirmed when their firstborn, Cain, murders their secondborn, his brother Abel, the reason being that Cain is angry with God and turns that anger toward his brother. Yes, indeed. The life we read about in our same old, same old news feeds and social media platforms in this life is not new. It is rather as old as Genesis 3 and 4, as in, I want to be God rather than obey God and damn you for God's sake. But the life Paul in Ephesians describes, the life we are called to and nourished for when we eat of the bread Jesus gives, when we eat of the bread Jesus says he is, is absolutely new. I mean, well, let me serve you a second helping. Taste this. So then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. My goodness, take that to your social media platforms and share it. Take it to your social media platforms and do it. Be it. I mean, seriously, if all Christians took those words to heart, can you even begin to imagine how posts and tweets and the like would change? They'd be new, not old. And the new would be good. For what they'd be oh so good with would be the life of us rather than the death of us. Of course, you could also take these verses too. And the fruit that can grow from them, not just to your social media platforms, but to your prayers... And see if you, together with the Holy Spirit, don't find yourselves together creatively and joyfully and faithfully and perhaps even sometimes repentantly imagining new ways that, 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 that these words could be true through you and through you, for you, and for others. And these ways would be good because they would be life-giving, not life-sapping. They would be not complaining about others, but gracing others. And all of it born because you've improved your diet. You've started feasting on truth, not lies. On love, not hate. On compassion, not fear. On mercy, not revenge. Until maybe even, though you're not even, maybe even hardly conscious of it, maybe you don't even notice it, but others do, you start becoming what you eat. Take that home and chew on it a while. 
spiritually speaking, in many ways you do, in many ways you just will become what you eat. And if you are eating good bread, what you become in more and more ways is new. And the new is good. And the good is good for you and for others and for God's world. Of course, sometimes what is true, what is good, what is life-giving and life-promising in a world which is still not new but old, will upset people. Which I suppose I could tell you by pointing to Dr. Fauci, but I will instead tell you by pointing to Jesus, who in our Gospel reading for today, immediately after he had made that profound and life-affirming and life-giving promise, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, will never be thirsty, was responded to with grumbling and complaining. In this case, the complaining was not about his words per se, but rather about what his words said about his identity, what his words said about who he was, what his words said about where he came from and about who he came from. For when he says those words, I am the bread that came down from heaven, what he's saying is what I pointed out last week is pretty much a corollary to what John said at the very beginning of his gospel, that being that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth. Which the religious authorities now grumbled and complained about. And by the way, this is another place where one of John's dearest friends, irony, enters the story. When they complain, the reason they complain about Jesus when he says he's the one come down from heaven full of grace and truth is that they already knew the truth about Jesus. The truth being that he wasn't of God. He was of Joseph and Mary. Something to note. When it comes to truths that are the deepest truths there are, truths that are the truths that have a capital T, we do not know the capital T truth by taking what we know to Jesus. We know the capital letter truth when we take Jesus to everything we know. I mean, for example, well, examples abound. Think about all that you know, for example, about you. Think about those you know whose sins you know are worse than the sins of you. Think about all those you know about whom you know and, and whom you don't love. And for darn good reason, right? Think about those you know whom you could have forgiven by now, but you haven't. Because, well, you know why. Ah, the things we know. Something to know. When it comes to truths that are the deepest truths that are, truths that are true with a capital T, we do not know the truth by taking what we know to Jesus. We know the truth when we take Jesus to what we know. Which I want to suggest is not a topic for a good sermon. It's a topic for every good and faithful sermon that's ever been preached. You don't define Jesus. Jesus defines you. You don't define your neighbor. Jesus does. You don't define your enemy. Jesus does. You don't define who's worthy of your love or your generosity or your forgiveness. Jesus does. Which, though I assume when it gets down to some specifics, might leave you grumbling like it surely does me sometimes, is nevertheless 
even when we grumble, good news. Indeed, I sometimes think that this tired and sinful world, including my tired and sinful me, sometimes does some of its loudest grumbling, precisely when it hears good news. For the good news is the death of the me who wants to be the definer of who is worth loving. The good news, too, of course, is that he who is the definer, he who is the bread of life, raises the dead. Amen.